So two years ago, I had the privilege of walking alongside church and missions leaders here at Heritage, as was already mentioned, to help you retool your missions vision, to focus it, to strengthen it. And as we work together, I want to tell you, God forged some special friendships. Not only was a new vision for the future forged, but some very special friendships were forged. And I consider our partnership in the gospel as a precious gift from God. Pulling in this morning, I just, I, it happens all the time when I get to work with the church, but just something special about being here. I thought, God, who am I that I get to be here today with your gathered people that I get to be a part of stirring their affections for spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I am honored for the ongoing opportunities to work together for the sake of God's name. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. I'm going to pick it up where Mark left off last week. We're going to look at verses 14 through 24. I'm going to read them, all of them, and then we're going to study them together. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ is, has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What are you known for? And by you, I mean you personally. If I were to ask people who know you well what you were known for, what you were all about, what your priorities were, what would their answers reveal about you? Just pause on those questions for a minute. If I were to quiz people who know you, what would they say about what mattered most to you? Well, those who knew the Apostle Paul knew exactly what mattered most to him, right? In fact, if we look at the body of his New Testament writings, what clearly stands out can be summed up in five words, I believe. Knowing Christ, making Christ known. Knowing Christ, making Christ known. 
Paul had gospel ambition. That's the title of this morning's message. His heart was ablaze to know his Savior. He longed to worship him. He lived to worship him. And it was precisely his zeal to know and worship him that fueled his mission's flame. He had big zeal to reach the nations because he had big zeal to worship Jesus. It's been said we do not commend what we do not cherish. Makes sense, right? We commend the things that we love. And so it was precisely Paul's love for Christ that gave him this gospel ambition to make Christ known. Churches that have little passion for worship will have little zeal for missions. And conversely, churches that have big passion for worship will have big passion for missions. Gospel ambition, what is it? Well, we're going to look at verses 20 through 23 here. I'm going to draw some things out of it. And what's clear here is Paul was controlled by gospel ambition. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23 again because they're really essential. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ or excuse me, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then in verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, is what he says, and I've longed to be with you. So Paul was controlled by gospel ambition. This gospel ambition was the reason that he was actually hindered from going to Rome. And then in verse 23, he says, I have longed for many years to visit you, but I couldn't. What was it that kept Paul for years and years from visiting Rome? Well, it was his gospel ambition. If you have a longing to do something for years and years and years, but you don't do it, then something else must be controlling you to the contrary. And for Paul, it was gospel ambition. He says, I had not yet fulfilled my mission, which was to proclaim the gospel in the regions from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And he says, now I have completed that work and I'm freed now to head to Spain. But on the way to Spain, I'm gonna stop by to see you. He had this all-consuming passion to preach the gospel to those who'd never heard his name from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and he would not turn from this ambition. He set his face like flint. And he says something interesting. He says, my work is now done in these regions, and we're going to talk about that more in just a moment here. But the same gospel ambition is now taking him to Spain. So again, in context here, he says, now that I have proclaimed the gospel in these regions... My gospel ambition has been fulfilled in these places. I am free to visit you and fellowship with you for a while. So question this morning. Do you have gospel ambition? Do I have gospel ambition? Do we have burning desire to see peoples who've never heard of Jesus trust him and treasure him? And be saved by him and glorify him for his mercy? Or do you think, well, I love Jesus, but missions, that's not my thing. I mean, I know it's important. I know it's a part of the Bible here, but that's just not what I'm called to. So maybe you give yourself the I'm not an apostle pass. 
Is gospel ambition something that all of God's children should even possess? Or is it for super spiritual people? Or just the missionaries, the sent out ones? Or is it for all of God's children? Well, we're going to dig in a little deeper and find out. So in verse 21, we find out that this gospel ambition that Paul had was founded and fueled by Scripture. Verse 21, I'm going to read it again. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So again and again, in chapter 15, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12, and now here in verse 21, notice what Paul does. He quotes Old Testament prophecy to remind us that the gospel is for all peoples, not just for the Jews. And this verse here is actually a direct quote of Isaiah 52, 15. So verse 21 is a quote from Isaiah 52, 15. I hope you feel the weight of this. This is amazing to me. It's remarkable, in fact, because we know from several references in Acts that Paul had this stunning encounter with the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, right? He has a crisis of encounter with Jesus. And the glory of Jesus blinds him. He's knocked on his fanny, and then, subsequently, God gives him his mission to be a light to the Gentiles. So think about this. Paul's mission to take The gospel to the nations came directly from Jesus, straight from Jesus. And yet here in Romans 15, he doesn't talk about what happened to him on the Damascus Road. I would have. Kind of where I would have gone, I think. I would have talked about this incredible encounter, this supernatural encounter with the risen Christ. But Paul says that his ambition to preach the Gentiles comes from the Scriptures, Isaiah 52, 15, exactly. Paul's gospel ambition, folks, was fueled and founded by the Bible. And here's the point of application for us. We should not be waiting around for a supernatural encounter to confirm our calling and missions. We will likely never have an experience quite like Paul's on the Damascus Road, at least not as spectacular, And I'm not suggesting that God doesn't at times meet his children in dramatic fashion. I'm not suggesting that. I have had a handful of intimate encounters with the presence of Jesus since I was rescued in 1994. And I tell you, those encounters have had a profound impact on my life. I can think of certain ones and emotion just wells up within me. Times where I've been in the word and the presence of God was just there. Or or times in prayer, and I just sensed his nearness. I, I pray that I have more of those experiences. I pray that you do as well. But here's the point. We don't need a Damascus Road experience to convince us that we should care about missions. We have more Bible than Paul did. The Bible tells us that the gospel is not just for some people. It's not just for us. It's for every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It's for those who have never heard. And so this is my plea this morning. Let the Bible inform and inflame gospel ambition within you. 
The best missions mobilizer is the Bible when it's taught properly. When it is read properly and communicated properly, it's the best mobilizer because, folks, it is one master story. You know this, right? There are many sub-stories and subplots. And a lot of churches focus all their time attention on the subplots. And again, they're important, but they miss the larger picture. When you read a book, there is an overarching theme, and the Bible is one book. Many smaller books, but one ultimate story. God's grand narrative, as some people call it, or the Greeks call it the meta-narrative of Bible is about heaven being filled with worshipers from every nation, every tribe, and every single tongue. From Genesis to Revelation, this book is about God calling out worshipers that they might glorify him for his mercy. This is the arc of scripture. Paul knew this. And so he doesn't refer to the Damascus Road when he says, I have gospel ambition to preach the gospel. He says, I have gospel ambition to preach the gospel because it's the main message of the scriptures. He goes to the Old Testament to validate his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Second thing we see is that this gospel ambition was focused on regions beyond We see this in verses 14 through 19 and also in 23. Pick it up in verse 16. He says, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, hang on to that word, in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Spirit, And he says in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles. When Paul repeats himself in this way, he's emphasizing something. He's drawing our attention to this. This is the focus, you might say, or the object of his gospel ambition. It's the Gentiles. And of course, he quotes Isaiah 52, as I've already mentioned, in reference to them as well. So the Greek word for Gentiles, folks, write it down. If you're a note taker, it should be helpful. It's the word ethnos, and it means ethno-linguistic groupings, people groups with distinct languages and cultures that make it difficult for the gospel to spread naturally from one to the other. People groups like the Navajo people, the Fulane people, the Kekche, the Maoshe Shing, the Jumjum, the Choco, the Tarahumara, the Miao, Riau, Malay, Malayu. I always mess that one up. I'm working on it. But this is what it's about it's about reaching the Gentiles, the ethnos, and this difficulty of the gospel spreading from naturally from one to the other is precisely why missions must be exported. The gospel must be exported. We must send out missionaries. See, I hear people say, just grow where you're planted. Folks, if we just grow where we're planted, the gospel will never make its way to the ends of the earth. It must be imported. We must send missionaries. This word ethnos, by the way, is the same word Jesus uses when he gives the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations. It's the word ethnos. People groups. According to Jesus, the goal of the Great Commission is not just to win as many people to Jesus as possible, but it is to make steady headway in seeing that there are witnesses of Jesus in every nation, every tribe, and every single tongue. Back to Romans 15. I want to take a closer look at two verses here to make this point. Verse 19 and verse 23. He says, again, some pretty remarkable things when you dig in here. Verse 19. From Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then in verse 23, he says, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, what does Paul mean here? I have fulfilled my ministry. Fulfilled my mission, essentially, is what he's saying. And I no longer have room for work in these regions. Let me ask a question. Were the churches that Paul planted fully mature? No. I mean, Corinth could have used Paul indefinitely. Corinth alone. Weren't there tens and thousands of people in these regions who still needed to be evangelized? Yes. There were. Were there tremendous needs in these places? Immorality, suffering, poverty, yes. But Paul made a distinction between evangelism and missions, and so should we. Both are necessary, folks, but they're not the same. Paul was focused on the Gentiles, people groups, ethnos, living in regions beyond because in those regions and among those groups, there was no evangelizing church. He wanted to supplant the gospel into places where it did not exist yet. I mean, it had not been proclaimed yet, where the church did not exist. Now, it's worth noting, this is really important, What Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, he says to Timothy, his son in the faith, do the work of an evangelist, is what he tells Timothy. Timothy was doing his work in regions where Paul had already planted the church. He was doing the work of an evangelist. Missions and evangelism are both necessary, folks, for the life and the vitality of the church and also the life and the vitality of the world, but they're not exactly the same. This is what George Murray, Chancellor of Columbia International University, wrote. He's got some phrases here that I think are helpful in our understanding of the difference between missions and evangelism, and that's right here in South Carolina, right? Columbia? Yeah. How many hours? Wow, close, it's close. He says this, evangelism is helping people believe in Jesus. Missions is helping people know there is a Jesus to believe in. Evangelism is helping people believe in Jesus. Missions is helping people know there is a Jesus to believe in. He says evangelism is growing the church where it is. Missions is the church going where it isn't. 
The essence of missions for Paul was going places where Christ was not already named. Now, let me ask a question, lest you misunderstand this, okay? Did Paul care about evangelism, about growing the church where he had planted it? Of course. His charge to Timothy was to do the work of an evangelist. And in other places, he called Timothy to strengthen the church. We know he had deep concern for the welfare and spiritual vitality of the churches he had planted. So he cared about evangelism. But his gospel ambition, folks, did not stop there. It was focused on peoples who didn't even know there was a Jesus to believe in. A question I have often heard from many Christians more times than I like to recall. I mean, even saying it, it, it bums me out. <laughs> Why are we going there? These are not from unbelievers, folks. These are from Christians. Why are we going there? There are so many lost people right here. There are so many needs all around us. Why do you want to go there? I won't ask for a show of hands. I, I know you've heard it. I wonder if Paul was ever asked that question. Paul, why are you going to regions beyond? Have you seen how messed up these cities are? The churches you planted are really struggling, Paul. There's a lot of people who've not yet heard a clear presentation of the gospel in these regions yet, Paul. I imagine he would have said something like this. I'm going to those that have no access to the gospel. Who couldn't hear it if they wanted to. The lost and the needy around you have you. Your neighbor who's unchurched. Who's never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They have you. So do the work of an evangelist. Be a disciple. Be the church. I'm going where there is no church in existence. Today, folks, of the world's 11,741 people groups, Gentiles, ethnos, 7,000 of them, numbering nearly 3 billion souls, have little to no access to the gospel. They're gospel destitute. You see, these people cannot glorify God for his mercy. That's what we did this morning, did we not? In our song? Oh, God, thank you for mercy. We worship you because of what you've done for us, because you brought us to yourself. These people groups, 7,000 of them, numbering nearly 3 billion souls, they cannot do that because they've never heard about his mercy. Among them, Jesus is unknown. He's unacknowledged, folks. He is unworshipped. And they are not unreached with the gospel because they are unreachable. No, they are unreached because we've chosen not to reach them. And yes, we say things like, why are we going over there? There are so many people that need the gospel right here. And by all means, proclaim the gospel to your neighbors. Be salt and light at all levels in this city but also possess this ambition to take the gospel where it's never been proclaimed. So Paul's gospel ambition 
founded and fueled by the Bible. We have more Bible than Paul. It's focused on regions beyond, places that have no witness. And the third point I want to draw out here is that it is for every church and for every child of God. Verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So he wants to visit the church in Rome as he heads to Spain to continue to proclaim the gospel. That's what he was doing. And to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So it's, if it's not clear from the text we've already looked at this morning, don't get the idea that I'm saying that every follower of Christ with gospel ambition must become a missionary to regions beyond. Again, Paul's words to Timothy were to do the work of an evangelist. So get this, Paul told Timothy, don't go, stay. Grow and strengthen the church where it's already been planted. But I wanted to draw this out of this. If we love Jesus, folks, we should all have gospel ambition. I asked that question earlier. Is this just for some Christians? No, it's for everyone who names the name of Christ. If we love Jesus, we must have gospel ambition, namely a, a passion, something that shapes and informs our lives, our decisions, a passion to see the nations glorify God for his mercy. But we all have different roles to play in God's global cause. And this is what is drawn out of verse 24. I'm headed to Spain to continue my gospel ambition. It's now another region beyond. I've completed my work from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and I'm going to stop and meet you, and I want to be helped by you on my journey. I'm going to enjoy your company as well. So clearly, Paul did not intend for everyone to go with him as a missionary. He didn't expect them all to be sent ones to go to the Gentiles, but he did want them to share in his gospel ambition. Now, what did helping him on his journey mean? This is what it means. Doing whatever it took to get him there and to keep him there. Prayer. It's prayer. Spiritual air cover. As Paul is going to gospel destitute places in darkness, in the shadow of death, he's calling on them to pray. You can read about it in verse 28 of Romans 15. He asks for prayer. Resources, no doubt. I want to be assisted. I want you to help me on my journey. So resources, materials, finances were needed. And so the supply lines, spiritual air cover is needed, and supply lines are needed for these frontline workers at the ends of the earth. We see this kind of sending and support in action in the church at Philippi. I love the book of Philippians for this reason. And in fact, one of the ways to view the book of Philippians is a missionary letter to ascending church. Philippians 4.10, um, he celebrates his partnership with the church in Philippi. And I believe this is exactly what he was asking for from the church in Rome, something similar. Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's celebrating because the church in Philippi had this revived concern to support him and they didn't have an opportunity to, and now they do. And then Philippians 4, 14 through 16. He said, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This, I believe, is what he's calling the church in Rome to do as well to assist him, to help him on his journey in these ways through prayer, through moral support, through financial support. And regarding the church in Philippi, who was it that brought their gifts to Paul? FedEx truck? Postal service? I know we've had some slowdowns in delivery, but no, that's not what's going on here. It was a man named Epaphroditus from the church in Philippi. It was a personal visit by a member of the church. So Paul's in prison. He's in chains. The gospel's not in chains, but Paul is. And he has needs. He's on the front line of the war effort. He needs the supply lines. He needs encouragement. All those things that those front line workers and soldiers need. And he's visited by Epaphroditus. It wouldn't be realistic for the entire church in Philippi to, you know, leave Philippi and then go to him in jail. So what they do is they send a representative, a delegate, if you will. His name is Epaphroditus. This is what Paul says about him in chapter 2, verse 25. My brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Paul celebrates Epaphroditus because he ministered to his need. And then he sends these words back with Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus returns back to the church. And Paul says in verse 29 and 30, receive him in the Lord with all joy. And I love this, honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We don't know exactly what happened, but he nearly died as he was delivering this love gift. And he says something interesting in verse 30. He says, he supplied what was lacking in your love for me. And at first read, it might sound like an indictment, like your love is lacking. (laughs) But he just celebrated this church. And if you read the whole book of Philippians, he loves this church. He seems to say things about this church that he doesn't say about other churches. It had a special place in his heart because of the partnership in the gospel. Nothing was lacking in their love, folks, except the delivery of that love in person. Paul, the missionary, was in a difficult spot. He needed a measure of encouragement and care and resourcing. And the whole church couldn't go. Not realistic, So they send a representative and he brings the gift of presence. Not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. He is evidence, tangible proof of the love of the larger church ministering to Paul's need. Yes, he brought presence too. He brought financial resources, other resources probably as well. Did Epaphroditus have gospel ambition? I'd say so. And the church that resourced him and launched him out also had gospel ambition. But here's the point, folks. He was not a missionary. 
you might call him a short-term missionary, but he was resident in the church of Philippi. He was a part of that evangelism and growing and strengthening the church where it was. Their missionary was on the front lines. Epaphroditus is a delegate of love and resources from the church. He risked his life to keep Paul doing what he was doing. And that calling, folks, is in some measure on all of us. It should be on every child of God. The aim of gospel ambition is that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. And to that end, God raises up sent ones, missionaries, who take the gospel to peoples and places where it's never been. And he does that through sending churches full of mobilized people who pray and give and resource and care and advocate. Gospel ambition If you're not convinced, I'll just reinforce it now. It's for every church. It's for every child of God. You can't take the I'm not an apostle pass. You may not be called to the front lines as a missionary, but you have a role, and it's a role that should be celebrated. The whole church is needed to engage in this work of taking the gospel to all peoples. So gospel ambition is for every church, for every child of God, not some churches, not some believers. Here's why. Because it's at the heart of Christianity. It's at the heart of scriptures. It's at the heart of God himself. I love this value that was forged. I like that terminology. We wrestled to work through these words. Whole body engagement is one of the driving convictions of your global outreach strategy. And what it's communicating is this. Every person in our congregation has a role to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. Everybody here. No one's exempt. Everybody. For every person in this church who's a child of God. So, I started my first point with the question, gospel ambition, what is it? My concluding point this morning is gospel ambition, where's it going? Turn with me to Revelation 7. That's the final book of the Bible. You all know that, right? Just in case. Revelation 7. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. So we know what gospel ambition is. We know that it is a central theme of the Bible. We know that it's focused on regions beyond all nations and it's for everybody. And now let's see where it's going. After this I looked and behold a great number, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The nations are glorifying God for his mercy. 
In this breathtaking passage, the Holy Spirit peels back the curtains of time and space. And folks, we get a glimpse into the end all of history is moving towards. This is where history is going. You want to know how it ends? It ends here. This is where it's going. And we see the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth, and he is receiving the reward of his suffering. What is that reward? It's worship. It's worship that is spilling forth from the lips of people redeemed from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. This is the resolution of God's story. It's the climax of the story. It's worth noting that the church is inaugurated in Acts 2 in a global context. If you have time, look it up today, read it. And the church is now consummated in a global context. When in heaven, bowing down before the Lamb of God alongside untold numbers of worshipers from all nations, folks, there will be no doubt as to what God's ultimate missions was. And we will know then beyond the shadow of a doubt that this mission was the greatest movement in history. I believe that far too many people have ambitions that aren't going anywhere, so to speak. They're ambitions that ultimately won't amount to much in the light of eternity. They're trivial ambitions compared to this. They're inconsequential. Now, of course, some people have ambitions that are outright evil. They're bad. But I don't think that is the case for most believers, or it shouldn't be at least, but I am concerned that many believers, folks, do not have gospel ambition. Ambition to see Jesus named, known, and loved, and worship where he currently isn't. When we first witness with our own eyes this Revelation 7 celebration, we'll be on our faces too. No child of God that's in this worship service will be thinking, I regret I was so passionate about missions. I invested too much of my time mobilizing people to be a part of this mission. Or I made too much of missions while I was on earth. I should have spent more time, energy, resources, focus on other things. No child of God will think those things. But on that day, I believe those who treated missions as unimportant thought missions, not my thing. I I love Jesus, but this is not my thing. It's not for me. Will wonder how they marginalized in life what was clearly one of the weightiest and most massive issues in the universe. They'll have no explanation for how they missed it in life, how they ignored it, how they marginalized it. And to be sure, all of God's children will behold the glorious throne room scene described in Revelation 7. We'll all, if we're in Christ, we're all gonna witness this. We'll all enjoy it. But I believe only those who had gospel ambition to make disciples of all nations, tribes, and tongues will have, as part of their heavenly inheritance, the honor And the joy and delight of knowing that God in his mercy worked through them to bring the nations into his mercy. It'll be a shared joy. You'll see the worship of these nations and somehow your joy will be connected to theirs because God used your life to extend the gospel to the regions where they came from. 
And here's what will happen. You'll throw your crown at his feet. And that heavenly crown will be brightened with the acclamations of praise that redound to Jesus because of people groups won to Christ through your life. So my friends, gospel ambition is for all of us. We're not all called to go, but we all have a part to play. And we know where it's going, can't fail, won't abort. So as a child of God, you have one of two options. Join the father in the family business, be a part of the imminent completion of history's greatest movement, or miss out. Those are your options. So my plea, my appeal, don't miss out. Let this gospel ambition give context, meaning, and purpose to all of life. Let it guide your ministry. Let it guide and shape how you live. And again, lest you think I'm saying slow down your work to reach your neighbors, I'm not. I hope that came out loud and clear. Give for the sake of local ministry. Engage in local ministry. Be a disciple. Be an evangelist. Do the church. Be the church. But care about those who do not yet glorify God for his mercy because they don't know about it yet. And find your part in that plan. Folks, there is nothing happening in the world today that is more important than the mission of Jesus Christ. This epic and unstoppable story of redemption is the centerpiece of God's plan for this age. You get that? Revelation 7. Just go there. Because it's the centerpiece of his plan for this age, it should be of something concern for every one of his children. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would kindle within our hearts the passion of Paul. I pray that we would be known as people who want to know you and people who want to make you known. And Lord, I'm just thrilled to think about the future of this church as they focus in on regions beyond, as they consider people groups at the end of the ends of the earth that don't yet have a witness. God, I trust you're going to bless and establish the work of their hands. God, the work's going to be difficult. It was for Paul. Nothing's changed. The places that need the gospel the most are dangerous places. So strengthen them for what lies ahead. And I pray there would be a unity in this body around this gospel ambition that commands the blessing of your hands. God bless and establish the work of Heritage Bible Church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.